Hello, everybody, and welcome to the July 13th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, members of the Republican Party from Alabama will get to choose their Senate nominee to go up against Doug Jones. And as of right now, their two major choices are a Trump supporter who didn't support Trump and a Trump supporter who Trump doesn't support. Yeah, a little update on that Tuberville story we covered on Friday. You know, the one about him not voting for Donald Trump despite running as basically being Donald Trump? Turns out his current excuse is that he actually voted for Donald Trump in Kentucky. Which, by the way, is... So, he registered to vote in Indiana... Then voted in Kentucky. Does this guy, like, have a house anywhere? Seriously, half the time it feels like Tommy Tuberville is just that traveling hobo with a song in his heart. Um, by the way, there's no record of this from any county in Kentucky. Okay, so that's just a lie. Both campaigns, however, have released their closing ads. These are the ads that are supposed to get Republican Alabama primary voters riled up, okay? Now, this is former Attorney General Jeff Sessions' ad. And notice one name he just cannot stop mentioning. Some people ask me, Jeff, why are you running for the Senate again? Because America's worth fighting for, that's why. Socialists threaten our country, and President Trump needs our help now. Others talk big about Trump, hoping to get your vote, but talk is cheap. I've been with him from the start, because it's the right thing for America. Republicans in Washington are too soft. Trump needs a warrior for truth. Let's seize the moment. I'm Jeff Sessions. I approve this ad. He mentioned Donald Trump three times by name in that ad. Okay? Three times. And referenced him another time. It's four times in 30 seconds. Roughly once every, what is that, seven and a half seconds? Donald Trump was in some way mentioned. Aren't you the one running for Senator, Senator Sessions or Attorney General Sessions? Aren't you the one who people are voting for, not Donald Trump? And this really shows what kind of state the RNC is in right now. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Every political party in the entire world has had this problem. But, at a time where the DNC is currently trying to run a platform of appealing more to their base, that's what their primaries are all about, what are RNC primaries about? The answer is they're about appeasing whoever's in power or opposing whoever's in power, depending on who is in power. Basically, every Obama-era campaign ad basically came down to, I don't like President Obama, and if you don't like President Obama, vote for me. Well, okay, tons of other people don't like President Obama. I assume at least one other person doesn't, because you're running in a primary against them from the opposite party. Well, congratulations. What separates you from them? Just the sheer amount of dislike you have for them? Okay, very interesting. And of course, Donald Trump hates Jeff Sessions. He has endorsed Tommy Tuberville at least three times, and even as Attorney General, constantly insulted Sessions. Going so far as to, at one point, say he had no Attorney General, 
when Sessions was Attorney General. This is just ridiculous. Everything about this is ridiculous. You know what Jeff Sessions is? And I made this comparison before. You know what Jeff Sessions is? He's an abused girlfriend who is going back to his, to his abusive ex, despite the fact the abusive ex doesn't even want him back. That's what this is at the end of the day. This is the saddest thing ever. Jeff Sessions is a sad human being. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Tuberville is not any better. His gotcha campaign ad, I'm not playing the whole thing here because it's over two minutes long, is basically a roll of Fox and Friends footage and Jim Jordan. I would make fun of that, but Sessions just had his endorsement with Jim Inhofe. Really? Those are the two biggest competitions right now. Who can appeal to Trump more? And who can be endorsed by the worst people possible? Tuberville's got Jordan. Sessions got Inhofe. And it's a tough race. It's a tough race. The ad in question basically comes down to criticizing Jeff Sessions for not appointing a special prosecutor to go after Hillary Clinton. Something Donald Trump, by the way, has never showed any interest in at all. Which, okay, I can see why that would be concerning if you ignore the fact that the various scandals she has gotten into, including the email server and Benghazi, were investigated multiple times, usually by Republican-controlled committees. Same thing with Whitewater, by the way. And they were always found to be innocent, the Clintons at least. In Whitewater, there were other people convicted. However, none of them were Bill or Hillary Clinton. In 2014, a report by the House-led, or by Republican-led House Intelligence Committee determined that Hillary Clinton in no way did anything illegal during the killing in Benghazi. Okay? I want to make that very clear. Same thing with the email scandal. That was around the same time, as well as in the 90s, crimes like Whitewater and the conspiratorial death of Vince Foster, which, might I add, Ken Starr himself said she was innocent of and that it was a suicide. Uh, but none of that matters in their mind because they're insane people. Because that's what it comes down to. Or at the very least, in Tuberville's case, he's pretending to be an insane person. Tuberville is a Trump supporter who did not support Donald Trump. We covered this on Friday. When you looked into the when you look into the state he was registered to vote in, that being Indiana, he had not voted in 2010, 2012, 2014, or 2016. He was actually knocked off the voter registration in Indiana just a few months before the 2016 presidential election due to inactivity. I didn't even know that was possible in Indiana, truth be told. Superville is the Trump supporter who did not support Donald Trump. And the funniest thing about this is sometimes people say elections are pointless, okay? And that everything's going to turn out the same no matter what. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand that concern. This is an election I do feel is pointless. Are you, look at other Republican races. In Kansas, if Kobach gets in, that's going to be tangibly different than if anyone else gets in. I'll say that right now. If Kovac gets in, that'd be tangibly different. As it stands, Sessions and Tuberville would be the exact same candidates, or the exact same in the Senate, because they are running on being the exact same as the president. 
who might I remind you might not even win re-election this November. Okay? So as it stands, what's the point of this primary? Are you really going to tell me that Tuberville is going to break with Donald Trump? That man can't think independently. He honestly can't. Tuberville is one of those people who, if you ask him his opinion on anything, he'll say, what direction does the wind blow? Oh, South, I don't have any strong opinion at this time. He just thinks whatever Donald Trump tells him to think. Same thing with Jeff Sessions. At best, you can say the difference is Jeff Sessions already had that ideology beforehand, but even that's not much of a substantive difference when it comes to right now. As it stands, to put it simply, if you are concerned about this primary, which I think Sessions is going to lose, by the way, you have been caught up in nonsense. And mind you, I've been making fun of Sessions for months, okay? Mostly because his campaign is so pathetic. However, however, this is the big however, at the very least, I know that if he gets in the Senate or if Tuberville gets in the Senate, it's going to be the exact same no matter what. Because both these men bow to the exact same master. Anyway, Roger Stone, oh boy, oh boy, that name. Roger Stone's sentence has officially been commuted, which essentially means he wasn't pardoned. He's still guilty of lying to the feds. They're just not going to punish him for it. This is exactly what I was predicting was going to happen during the start. You can go back to the archives. I did a segment on Roger Stone in episode 26. I essentially predicted that either he's going to be the next Michael Flynn, and I think this was before Flynn was pardoned, um, or he's going to be the next Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know which, but one of those two. Now it turns out he's the next Michael Flynn, and the reason being is that Roger Stone is ungodly loyal to the president. Roger Stone has worked with Donald Trump since the 1980s, where he lobbied for Trump's businesses. So what were you expecting at this point? And by the way, Roger Stone was convicted of lying to the federal government, specifically lying to Robert Mueller. Now, the main excuse I've heard about this come along the lines of, well, the Mueller investigation was bad anyway, so who cares? So what? So what? There were tons of investigations during various administrations I thought were pointless. But that doesn't mean that, therefore, it's okay to lie to the federal government. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Or for that matter, my favorite is the excuse Liz Wheeler of One American News made. Oh, well, Lisa Page, or James Comey, or uh, Santa Claus all lied to the federal government and the Obama administration didn't do anything. I thought that was an issue. I thought that was wrong when the Obama administration did nothing. These are the people who basically believe the only difference between the Obama administration and the Trump administration should be that Donald Trump is good. That's what it comes down to. That's the main difference in their mind between Obama and Trump is that Trump is good. Everything else is the same, though. Everything else is the same in their mind. And it is honestly sad to watch. You know, it's funny this happens at a time when Republicans are more and more calling for Law and order, because what we're really seeing is law and order for the proletariat, for the lower classes, for the, uh, for the proles, if you will. The proles, the Orwellian proles. Meanwhile, the inner party can just do whatever it wants. You know, law and order never means law and order for Roger Stone, or Michael Flynn, or Donald Trump, 
or Steve Mnuchin or anyone in this administration who has been caught breaking the law, Kellyanne Conway, that's another one. No, instead, what it means is law and order for some black kid who, I guess, maybe robbed the liquor store a couple of minutes before he was shot by the police. That's law and order, is getting capital punishment by the judge, jury, and executioner known as the police force um, because you committed a minor crime, all things considered. That's law and order. That's law and order right there. What's not law and order is actually holding people accountable proportionately for the crimes they commit. And the fact is, we can argue how much of a sentence Roger Stone deserved, but the fact is he didn't get any. Okay? And the fact is, until anyone can prove that the sentencing was wrong, this should be seen as unjust. The other main justification given has been that Roger Stone's jury chair foreman, okay? The foreman of the jury was a hardcore resistor. And none of this has anything to do with how he was sentenced. Ignoring the fact that the judge dismissed the motion of a retrial because the bias was not found to be significant enough to have affected the ruling. Basically, he was found guilty, and it doesn't matter who went in there, they would have found him such. But also, again, that doesn't disprove what he was charged with. That's all I'm asking. Disprove what Roger Stone was charged with, okay? And then we can talk about if he deserves a pardon or not. Until then, what do we have? What do we have? We have a situation where if you scream enough, if you throw a big enough pity party, it is perfectly okay for you to break the law as long as you are a Republican donor. That's what we're seeing right now. That is what we're seeing right now. Okay? And there's nothing else to describe it. There is nothing else I can say at this point. This isn't law and order. This is, this is crime. This is chaos. This is unorder. That's what we're seeing at the moment. And it's considered okay because another guy did it, or because maybe there was some bias, or because who cares anyway? The investigation was dumb. That's not an excuse. Because in a Republican Party, if you want law and order, then I expect you to put your money where your mouth is and actually call this out for what it is. Most notably, an example not of law or order, but of disregard of rule and absolute chaos. That's what we're seeing. Anyway, as the COVID-19 pandemic rages on, obviously this administration is talking about the most important thing some app your kid uses or something. I don't know anymore. Peter Burrito! Oh boy, oh boy. How is this guy, like, not out of a job? Every other economist in his field finds him to be ungodly silly and stupid. Trump hires him, and all he does is go on cable news and get made fun of. Seriously, that's his career. Anyway, he uh, said his opinion on the great TikTok wars. Enjoy.
This is, oh god, this is from Fox Business just yesterday. That's coming. The other thing that, 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 that's on the, on the table that we need to talk about is this whole TikTok, WeChat, social media yeah. thing. Here's the thing, Maria. What the American people have to understand is all the data that goes into those mobile apps that kids have so much fun with and seem so convenient, it goes right to servers in China, right to the Chinese military, the Chinese Communist Party, and the agencies which want to steal our intellectual property. Does Peter Burrito even have any intellectual property? Serious question. Serious question. Does he have any intellectual property worth stealing? The guy wrote two books about how China, I don't know, stole his cookies or something. The only reason anyone knows who he is is because Donald Trump hired him, and now his role as that guy who hates China is being slowly phased out by Tom Cotton and Josh Hawley. Congratulations, Pina Colada. That's your new nick. And I've been calling him Peter Burrito for months. I like Pina Colada better, so that's what I'm calling him. Congratulations, Pina Colada. What have you done? What have you done? Um, and by the way, there's still no evidence, none, that data put on TikTok goes to servers owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Talk about a conspiracy theory. Honest to God, if this man was not hired by the president, he would be on like a D-tier Alex Jones-esque radio show. He would be a guest even Alex Jones looks at and goes, dude, you're, you're, you're kind of crazy. I'm sorry, he would. He would. Um, for the record, TikTok's headquarters is still in Los Angeles, which I don't know if Peter, if Pina Colada knows this, is in California, which I don't know if Pina Colada knows this. Is in the U.S., which I don't know if Pina Colada knows this, is not part of China. Okay? Had to break that down really simple for him. Still no evidence of that. None at all. None at all. Is, can anyone provide any actual evidence of that? Because so far they haven't. The most we have seen is TikTok censoring, censoring giant quotes, all political posts in one way or another. Most infamously for life posts, as well as some posts in favor of Hong Kong. However, is it really impossible to suggest they're just anti-political posting in general? They are an app for like seven-year-olds. And by the way, might I add, it is already illegal to collect data on anyone younger than 13. So, if Pina Colada has evidence TikTok is doing that, obviously he can force them to pay some kind of fine. However, until then, all he's doing is just mongering. He's just fear-mongering. He is fear-mongering, plain and simple. This is the attitude... Right now, I talked about this. I used Josh Hawley as the example on Friday regarding the whole ESPN thing. This is, a, this is a better example. The current attitude in Washington right now is Republicans like Pina Colada and Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton are allowed to poke you as much as possible. And if you slap their hand away, you're a communist. If you tell them to stop, you're a communist. You got to sit there and take it. You got to take it. Because otherwise, you're just a communist. 
Sorry, didn't know you were a communist, but you were. For the record, the NSA has collected far more data on you and your children than TikTok ever will. Okay? The TikTok is legally allowed to. If you are screaming about TikTok right now, and not about the NSA even louder, you have fallen for propaganda, plain and simple. There's no way around it. That's what has happened. You have fallen for propaganda. Because this is not about data mining or protecting your children or anything they're pretending it is. This is, at the end of the day, about stowing fear about a different country. That's what it comes down to. They want to create this kind of nationalist conspiracy, is what I keep calling it, primarily in hopes that first it's going to be China, and it's going to be some other country. It's going to keep going until eventually the U.S. is just an isolationist state. It's what they want. They want isolationism. Okay, because people who are isolated are the easiest to control. That's the first thing a domestic abuser does. They isolate you. People who are isolated are the easiest to control. And that's why this administration wants you to be isolated from the rest of the world. That's why this administration wants you to be isolated. It's really that simple. There is no way around it. Anyway, let's talk about uh, media attacks, because we rarely ever do that. USA Today ran the following tweet with an article on the 11th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, the 12th. The 12th, sorry. So yesterday. The claim, Trump campaign shirt features Imperial Eagle, a Nazi symbol. Our ruling, true. It then shows a picture of the Trump campaign shirt versus the Imperial Eagle used by Nazi Germany. Then a couple hours went by. Um, specifically, one and a half. And they added clarification. The claim that Trump 2020 has put on a t-shirt with a symbol similar to the Nazi eagle and is being criticized for is true. Worth noting, the eagle is a longtime U.S. symbol, too. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. How did that slip by, you guys? How did that slip by, you guys? You really shouldn't have, like, had that slip by you. Now, as of writing, USA Today has, in their defense, updated the article to specifically compare the use of the eagle symbol on the Trump 2020 shirts with its use historically in the United States. They also compare that to how it was used in Nazi Germany and find that, while it is closer to the Nazi symbol than any historical use in the U.S., it is still unconclusive on if such a claim is accurate, which is perfectly fair. However, this represents a growing issue in our media right now. And I know what you're thinking, Ephraim, you're some sassy political commentator. What issue do you have with the media? Well, that most of them are just sassy political commentators. You see, back during the Iraq War, or at least during the whole Bush era, in fact, one of the biggest criticisms of the media was that it was complacent. This is why people gravitated towards shows like The Daily Show or online blogs, because they were, well, telling the truth in a sarcastic way. They weren't doing both sidesism. They weren't saying, maybe everything's doing fine, the president is right, totally. If you combine this with the popularity of Fox News over the Obama administration, we basically have right now an era where 
every major news network is trying to do what Fox News did, except on the other side. The issue, however, is they don't actually come off like Fox. If anything, they come off like just some rambling Facebook page ran by a guy called Obummer Lies 1776. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Here, I'll give you another example. Last week, in response to Trump's 4th of July speech, CNN listed 25 inaccurate claims. Most of them were written in this ungodly, sarcastic manner. The only time I've ever seen it done in a similar article pretending to be news was on Louder with Crowder in response to a Barack Obama State of the Union address. Basically, CNN has become louder with Crowder for the other side. That is absolutely pathetic. And this is not going against Steven Crowder. I don't like Steven Crowder, but that's a different story. Mind you, the thing is someone like Steven Crowder is it's a low production blog and YouTube channel. He's open about the fact that he's a commentator. He's a pundit. He is not a journalist of any variety, investigative, gonzo, whatever you want to call him, he's not a journalist, okay? He is a guy who blows, makes fart noise into a microphone and talks about how Republicans are great. I don't expect much from Steven Crowder. I do expect a lot from the Cable News Network. That's what CNN stands for. News is literally in their name. This, of course, started a long time ago, back when YouTube came into the sphere with those pawnage videos. You remember those? Some of them were good, in all fairness. However, the mainstream news media is just not supposed to do that. And this is not me saying mainstream media should not fact-check politicians. I don't believe that either. Mainstream media should be, at the very least, mainstream news media should be holding politicians' feet to the fire. Okay, that's what journalism is at the end of the day. However, and this is the big however, it should actually be done in a serious and manner. Okay, and you don't have to have good faith. I'm not saying always have good faith and be nice to the politicians. I'm saying at the very least, don't write sarcastic responses to speeches and claim it to be fact-checking, and, for that matter, this is another big one, don't compare a campaign shirt to something done by Adolf Hitler without much more concrete proof than a bird. I think that's fair. Anyway, now let's talk about Tucker Carlson, speaking of media. Uh, Tucker Carlson's writer. A guy named Blake Neff resigned after a CNN investigation on Friday. Now, uh, what did that investigation uncover? That he was a giant racist. You know, for someone who has, who no one could believe is racist, Tucker Carlson sure does have a bad habit of having his top writer be a racist. It really makes you think, doesn't it? Like, like real, really starts to make you think. Anyway, uh, this is from CNN. Just this week, the writer Blake Neff responded to a thread started by another user in 2018 with the subject line, 
Would you let a jet black Congo, uh, I'm not saying that while recording, do Lasky eye surgery on you for 50% off? Oh, I don't know why jet black is capitalized, by the way. Is that like a term I don't know? I don't know racist terminology. I'm sorry. Neff wrote, I wouldn't get Lastic from an Asian for free, so no. Uh, really, really specific, but okay. Did you even... I thought the question was about people from the Congo. Congos aren't in Asia, you idiot. Now I'm focusing on the weird thing here, but that actually kind of bothers me. On June 5th, Neff wrote, quote, Black Dodes saying inside playing Call of Duty is probably one of the biggest factors in keeping crime down. Uh, he says that, by the way, at a time when supposedly crime was spiking because he really smart. On June 24th, Neff commented, honestly, given how tired black people always claim to be, maybe the real crisis is their lack of sleep. What? Oh, oh, I get it, because they used tired metaphorically. Therefore, Neff said, well, if you were using tired literally, you should just be sleeping more. Obviously. I mean, I mean, obviously, obviously. Tucker, Blake, Neff, you are a genius. On June 26, Neff wrote, the only people who care about changing the name of the NFL's Washington Redskins are, quote, White libs and their university educated pets. Okay, that one that one is true. That one is actually true. And over the course of five years, Neff has maintained a lengthy thread in which he derides a woman and posts information about her dating life that has invited other users to mock her and invade her privacy. Great man there, great man there, Tucker. You 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 have the best people. Okay, you have the best people. When your head writer invades women's privacy because I guess they won't date him. Oh my god. Uh, it, it explains it explains uh, Ben Shapiro's opinion on AOC pretty well, but that's a different story entirely. Now, with that said, with that said, I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't know how else to respond to that. With that said, I just want to say I don't know for sure what segments Blake Neff wrote specifically. Okay, I want to make that clear, because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. If this man was the head writer for Tucker Carlson tonight, that should be a giant red flag to most people. And by the way, I should note, Neff resigned. Fox News didn't even fire him. He resigned over this. Apparently, cancel culture is so out of control that people are just canceling themselves to get it over with. And really, this shouldn't even necessarily be a stain on Neff. And mind you, Neff is a very, very bad person. But just writing words on a forum is not a crime in of itself. Nor is it harmful in of itself, with the exception of if it's personal information of a girl who won't date you. Who should be to blame, though, is, well, the people who have been pointing out, who have been ignoring such a thing for a long time. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that you should be, 
socially or companies should be required to go through every single thing you've ever done on social media before they hire you. But if we're really going to talk about removing Section 230, then what else are we going to remove next? Are we going to make it so employers are liable for anything their employee posts on a social media website? May I remind you, Carlson has helped call for the repeal of 230 with his best pal in the whole wide world, Josh Holly. So, yeah, I'm fine with holding his feet to the fire on this one. I think we should also be asking questions like, did Neff manage to keep it secret at work? Or was this behavior also present in his writing and just ignored? And considering there have been people calling Tucker Carlson racist for years now, I would be a little concerned at something like this if I were, say, the PR department of Fox News. That's just me, though. That That is just me, though. I tend to not like when people think I am a bigot. But hey, maybe Tucker Carlson just gets off to it. Who knows at this point? Who knows? Neff has said in other interviews that anything Carlson is reading off the teleprompter, the first draft was written by him. Again, that should be concerning. However, that's not the biggest concern here. The biggest concern regarding the Neff situation is not him. It's the man who's parroting what he says. I pointed this out before, but Tucker Carlson was a libertarian until sometime in 2018 where he just randomly said, I'm a populist now. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he said he was a populist. But if Ron Paul, if I'm not mistaken, three times, including when he ran in 88, was a member of the Cato Institute, now he's a populist because I don't know. Is Carlson just a shill for whatever Neff was saying? For that matter, why did Carlson become a populist? And while on that topic, how much of what Neff was caught saying that was found so disgusting he had to resign for it does Carlson agree with? What was their relationship? This is important because, again, Neff is not the big story. He shouldn't be the big story. The big story should be the number one cable news host who he was using his who he was spouting the opinions through. Who was spouting his opinions. Okay? That should be the concern because that man can influence things. That man has more power than Neff does. I think it depends primarily on what, what we see happening in future Tucker Carlson The Night episodes, which I'm not watching because I don't watch Tucker Carlson because I have better things to do, uh, including banging my head against the wall repeatedly. More entertaining. However, if Carlson suddenly loses his popular shtick, we'll basically find out he was a shill forever was writing for him, which is what I've been suspecting for a long time now, because that's the kind of man Tucker Carlson is. Okay, he's a fraud. And that's, it's, it's that simple. He is a fraud. There's no way around it. He is a fraud at the end of the day. He's made millions of dollars. He was born into wealth. And now he's doing this, I'm the working man. When have you worked? When have you worked a day in your life outside of in the cable news industry? I seriously want to know because I can't think of anything. I genuinely can't. You ever done anything to actually increase your own wealth other than just read off a teleprompter all day? I, I really don't know. I really do not know. Anyway, last thing for tonight, Betsy DeVos, who apparently, I, I don't, I did not know this, cares about schools. Did you guys hear that? I was surprised. I couldn't believe it. 
I really couldn't. I, I didn't know that was her job. Uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos uh, has been trying to get schools to reopen in the fall for the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I am a supporter of reopening in a lot of situations. I feel like there are a lot of places, basically anywhere that isn't a big city, where you could reopen. Okay? The fact is, I feel the best solution was to quarantine nursing homes, to maybe temporarily lower Social Security ages, so say 50, you could get some brief Social Security checks. Not permanently, but just for a short period of time. And then, and then, you just have the schools go on as normal, because as of right now, there's no evidence that kids could catch COVID-19. There's just no evidence of that. However, DeVos is really playing her hand here. Because on one hand, her whole thing is local control of schools, state control of schools. Side note, education is almost exclusively controlled by state and local governments. What they really mean is just pulling the funding from it. Okay, there are some federal regulations which were overwhelmingly passed by Republicans um, originally. However, primarily, no, it's still state and local governments that decide what your kids learn, which is how, which is how it should be. And I'm neutral on DeVos's opinion on charter schools. I personally feel like she's a little too optimistic for them, but... I don't disagree with her overall premise that charter schools are not as bad of a thing as John Oliver makes you them out to be. Okay? Now. Now. With that said, for someone who supports local control, she's oddly been pushy to get a federal government response. And if you want the entire nation to reopen, you need a plan in place. Here is what DeVos said when she was asked about her plan on CNN. To what happens if there's an outbreak? What are experts telling you about the appropriate level of transmission for a school before it has to shut down? Well, I know that that's an area that the CDC is helping to provide further insight into. Um, I, I can't, as a non-physician or a non-medical expert, tell you precisely what to do in the case of one child in a classroom or five child, children in a classroom. But the, the key is every school should have plans for that situation to right, be able to pivot and ensure that kids can continue learning uh, at a distance if they have to for a short period of time. you're the Secretary of Education. You're asking students to go back. So why do you not have guidance on what a school should do just weeks before you want those schools to reopen on what happens if it faces an outbreak? You know, there's really good examples that have uh, been utilized in the private sector and in and elsewhere, also with frontline workers and hospitals. And all of that data and all of that information and all of those examples can be referenced I, not, by school okay, leaders. But I'm not hearing have, a plan from have the, the Department of Education. Do you have a plan but for, the, for the, what the, students the and plan, what schools should do? So, Schools should do what's right on the ground 
at that time for their students and for their situation. There is no one uniform approach that we can take na or should take nationwide but can because I just the ask needs you, I, I of a school in the city of Detroit are very, right. in my home state, in the city of Detroit, would be very different than that of a school in the that's Upper Peninsula exactly. of Exactly, and that's the point. That's completely understandable. Mm -hmm. But you are arguing over and over that they should handle this on a local level, but at the same time, as the Secretary of Education, you are trying to, to push them to do a one-size-fits-all approach, which is go back and reopen schools. You can't have it both ways. I am urging all schools to be re to open and to be providing their students a full-time education. Well, you know what, Mr. Voss? I just want to say I agree with your claim that schools should be primarily controlled at a local level. Okay? I'm completely with you on that. So, for instance, say... Your home state of Detroit. Seriously, did she actually say that? Did she actually say Detroit was a state? Okay, that's something else. Um, decides that they don't want to reopen because that would not be best for their specific area on a local level. Okay? They decide that completely locally. Then the administration is going to remove their funding. You see the issue? DeVos wants to have it both ways. She wants a giant federal mandate from the Department of Education, a department that she's basically admitted to being put into destroy, in order to make it so schools have to reopen, while at the same time saying that it's just on them to figure out how they're going to do that and what's going to happen if there's a backlash, which would obviously disproportionately hurt poorer school districts. I mean, there's no way around it. The Voss is speaking with both sides of her mouth on this. On one hand, you have somebody who is going, I want schools to reopen, federally mandatedly reopen. Okay, what happens? What's their plan then? Oh, they figure that out. I believe in local control. No, you don't. No, you don't. You believe in local control when it's convenient for you. If it's convenient for you, you'll believe in it. I mean, there's no way around it. The Voss is a raging hypocrite. And that's all for tonight. If you enjoy this episode, you'll enjoy my new book, The Establishment is Dead. Long live the establishment. I am Ephraim, and good night.